Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. Shinnock farm manager Kevin Ahern and dairy advisor John McNamara provide insight into the Shinnock farm since its inception in 2011 and the key practices that they have employed in an effort to move towards zero carbon. And John starts by recalling the first milking stock on the farm. We started here in 2010 buying in uh, breeding heifers. Some of them were bulled on the place and then there was other animals bought in. So the first milk production was here in 2011. I will remember helping Kevin down in the parlour when those first heifers arrived because we were dreading all those heifers. But with the first the first animals were milked here in 2011. Uh, they were all heifers. Uh, there was about 200 of them. And we I think we averaged 197 on average or something that year. And then we're on, what is it, year 11 or something at this stage. Um, it has progressed. Um, 78 hectares is on the grazing platform here. For a long number of years, we were buying in silage because we felt it didn't make a lot of sense to be feeding high quality grass um, making silage of it. We'd much prefer the cow to be eaten and gone down her throat and pr- producing milk solid. So we was buying around 250 kilos of dry matter of silage per cow per year on rented. We'd rent the silage ground. At that stage, we were exporting slurry out onto that same ground because we were above the 250 derogation figure. Uh, we gradually, I suppose, influenced by where by research and where the mood was, where where all these regulations were going, the decision was taken to stop exports and slurry or basically to come back down under the, under the 250. The herd size reduced slightly um, and we were buying in no more silage because we didn't need to. And more or less, the, the, the circle here was working. It was complete. What we were growing um, was enough to feed the cows with around a half ton a meal. Obviously, when we had a higher stocking rate, we were up at 3.2 for a while. You did need to bring in something as well as the half ton of meal. And that was about our quarter ton of uh, silage dry matter. At the time, we were growing up around that 15, 15 and a half ton. That has come back a bit. And maybe we'll, we'll dip into that at some stage later in this discussion, because we've got more conscious of where we've been driven as regards nitrogen regulations and nitrogen amounts have come down. So last year we milked uh, all but 249 cows on average across the year on on a total farm of 102 hectares. Milking platform got up a small bit to 84 hectares with rented ground near it. Um, Overall farm got up a bit or gone up because of, 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 uh, of rented outside silage ground that's not accessible for milking cows. And performance, John, could you give us a trend maybe over the last uh, four or five years in terms of milk solids produced per cow and per hectare? Yeah, I, like the objective here was never um, was was never big output per cow. It was always been driven by output per hectare and it will come up at some stage. Uh, we feed the wedge here rather than feed the individual cow. Yes, of course, you're trying to feed the cow right all the time. But the, the big driver is uh, as we say with groups in, uh, grow a lot of grass, and we'll be touching on that and, as regards fertilizer and clover and all that, grow a lot of grass, then get the cow to eat, eat as much of that grass as you can rather than be putting in expensive pieces of gear to harvest it and feed it into her, um, and, and then feed whenever there's a shortage. So we feed heavy here in spring, and you feed again in the autumn at a high stocking rate to build grass. 
But aside from that, you wouldn't be doing a lot of feeding. So uh, output per cow has been always sitting around that 420 mark. It started lower, obviously, and it's been sitting around that 420. We had a bit of a blip down last year. We went under that 400. Um, we feel we just didn't mind it maybe enough through a harsh period of weather when they were sitting around peak. Thankfully, they're going a hell of a lot better this year and effectively are sitting still on, on peak and, and let Kevin maybe get into a bit more detail on that or how they are at the minute. So we've been doing around that 420. We had been doing up over the 1,200, 1,240, 1,250 kilos of milk solids a hectare when we were renting in silage. Seeing once that silage came onto the platform, you know, onto the overall farm, we're sitting back down nearer that 1,000, 1,050, you know, 1,100 uh, kilos of milk solids per hectare. And on that, uh, John, like it's an interesting comment you make. Um, you know, you're feeding the wedge as opposed to feeding the cow and that 500 kilos of concentrate, it is well below the national average in terms of supplementation levels and, and probably half that. Um, just a comment from you, you know, dealing with discussion groups and meeting farmers. Is there um, a reduction in the level of supplement feeding that you would see on farms this year, given price and supply issues that we're experiencing? Yeah, I think we're and just talking to, uh, you know, our co-op colleagues that are out on the road and dealing with these people. Yes, there is, because the prices that hit, I suppose, got people thinking, you know, rethinking. The problem is, if you get into the habit of it, it's very hard to back out of your system. Like, if anything, we'd have to get into a habit here of, of putting more in to get out of the habit we're in, where there's, there's the culture of you're feeding the wedge and you feed, you feed, you feed if you're short of grass, but you don't go feeding otherwise. But the, the mood out there is, like in general, in West Cork, we're down on production compared to last year, but last year was a tremendous year. And I think some of it is, we feel has been driven by lads are being a bit more careful with how much they're, they're putting in. Um, gr grass growth up to this hasn't been fantastic. It has been sort of normal as we speak here today. Now things are cold enough. So um, let me lose. I can see there's more of a consciousness of yes, milk price. It's great and it's strong. But when, 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 when ration prices uh, are hitting the type of figures they're hitting at the moment, people are a bit more conscious and are getting a bit careful again. And to you, Kevin, you know, the 500 kilos, you know, that average concentrate that you feed every year, you know, some people talk about that target, um, you know, that 500 kilos of concentrate. But then when they make out what they've uh, fed in the year, it's often up at 750, 800. So, like, could you illustrate what that 500 kilos looks looks like across the lactation? Yeah, I suppose, look, in the spring, we feed four to five kilos. We say that we start calving here in early February. Cows are on grass as soon as we can get them out. So up to, we'll say, magic day, we call it, let it be the 10th or the 12th or 14th of April. We could have up to maybe 200, 220 kilos per cow fed at that stage. Um, at that stage, then we're, we're feeding the, the wedge, as John has said already. So like during May, June, July, we might be feeding no meal or a half kilo or one kilo. And we don't start feeding up the level of feeding. Then again, until we'd say early August, we might start off at two to three kilos per day per cow. And at come September, October, we'd be at four kilos. So we feed a lot in the spring, very little in the summer and feed what we need to feed in the, in the autumn. But maybe also supplement with a bit of silage 
in September, October. And that um, situation where you're you're cutting it out completely at times during the summer and like, you know, I suppose that decision is made around your farm cover per cow. What sort of a farm cover per cow um, would you see it's necessary to go back in with supplement, Kevin? I think the trigger for me is 160 to 170, but also looking at the forecast that's ahead of you, the predicted grass growth. So if we're going into a very dry period, um, it might trigger me at 180. If we're if the weather conditions are okay, we'll go to 160. It's just predicting ahead of what's coming over the next 10 days, two weeks. And we might go in with two kilos for seven days and come out of feeding meal then again. We have no problem going in and going out with feeding meal. And the practicalities of it, Kevin, you know, a lot of people would talk about that kilo or kilo and a half during the mid-season to keep the cows coming into the parlour and keep them settled in the parlour. is do, do you find there's issues or is it just a habit and the cows are trained to the system? Like we we, we milled here for nine years with no feeding system in the parlour at all, all year round. We installed feeders two years ago. Um, so cows are used to coming into the parlour. If they're left exit the parlour yard straight after milking, going to grass actually draws them through the parlour good enough. And to come back to the point John is talking about in terms of 420 kilos of solids per cow. And while, while you know, he has mentioned it is your focus is the per hectare performance. Um, you know, some people would consider that modest. Um, to you, is there other areas that you think um, you could improve upon in order to push that um, milk solids per cow figure? I suppose, we look, we're trying that already. We're going down the road of a lot of clover. I suppose the research coming out of Clannacilty and more Park is that there be 20 or 30 kilos of milk solids per cow extra from clover. I suppose we're going down that route as we are at the moment. Um, we Look, we have a, probably a bit of a difficult farm. We have some of our farm is very high when the cows go down there. We drop milk production. Uh, when they go down on the high ground, they... they they're climbing back up to, for milking and we will drop production when we go down the high ground. And it's high ground that we have to graze. We can't take any silage off it. So that does hit us at times during the lactation. And from, um, uh, say, a, a fertility and breeding performance, Kevin, uh, could you give us some, some information in terms of six-week calving rate? How compact is calving on the Shinnock farm? And, you know, lactation length, how many days in milk are you achieving? Yeah, so our six-week calving rate was always around between 88 and 92% uh, six-week calving rate. Um, it's a bit less this year. We made the decision to cull more of our poor-yielding cows, so we brought in a higher replacement rate. We brought in 21% this year. Um, so some of our later cows, we, I suppose we were culling some of our later cows over the years. Um, they have brought down our six-week calving rate to 84 85% this year. So going back to your last question, we have called some of our poor yielders, maybe five or six or seven percent. That may also help to bring up our production. Um, so our day, I suppose we're getting about 280 days at, at milk uh, at the moment. And that um, that idea of culling some of those lower yielders, is that something that you have done in the past or is was last year your first year taking on that challenge? I suppose we, we were always doing a bit of it. We definitely probably weren't doing enough of it. So I think we're going to focus more if we have to bring in a higher replacement rate over the next couple of years. 
and get rid of our lower production cows. So we call the 18% to the herd this year. Let there be one or two percent mortality. Um, so I think we're going to focus more on that, our lower yielders, over the next couple of years. And that 21% replacement rate, Kevin, it is a relatively low figure, um, you know, and, and very close to the gold standard target of 18%. Of that uh, 18% of cows that you have culled, what of those are empty cows? So we, we average over the last maybe 10 years. Our first year, we had a higher empty rate. We were over nearly 13% empty rate. We've been under 10% every year since. Uh, we were 7.6% last year empty. So we're, you could say an average 8%, 8.5% over the last nine years, 10 years. And look, that gives really good scope um, to be selective in terms of the future cows of the herd where you have low empty rate. There's a lot of opportunity to complete um, some voluntary culling. To you, John, at the Shinnock Farm, Kevin mentioned that you have some clover in the system. And, you know, I suppose one of the ideas of clover is that you will uh, drive on additional production um, in the herd. Um, but I suppose, you know, when when I think of Shinnock Farm and, and many people, when they hear the name, they'll think of, you know, this um, move towards zero carbon and that initiative that the farm has taken on. So outside of white clover, what else are you doing to reduce that carbon footprint? Yeah, and, and some of these initiatives, in fairness, we were are the big ones we were doing already in the sense of, I suppose, the, our, our, our farm board here looking at the future and as a demonstration farm to be trying to give a bit of leadership. So, and I should draw Kevin in here maybe again. Kevin, we're, we're on protected urea for probably three years now. Four, five, five. five. I'm able to count these fingers here. So on about five years of protected urea, low emission slurry spreading, we were at it just ahead of when you had to do it on derogation. So those those two items we, we, we were doing anyway. We've been trying to establish clover here, again, being driven from a cost point of view. And as Kevin said, the good results coming out of both Park and trying to kill you what it was doing for milk solids per cow for a number of years. And those are our key components of, 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 of how, a far, how any dairy farm um, can, can reduce its carbon emissions. And Carberry are very conscious here that this is an overall industry. It's not just the Carberry Farm Zero C, it's for whole, the whole dairy industry. And they're very conscious that this is a good news story. We hear lots of what Dublin Bus will do and someone else will do. This is a story of what, what dairy farming can do. Obviously, there's a whole issue around, is it, do they call it the enteric methane, the, the methane that's producing the rumen. Either that goes off the table because it's got a short... Um, life cycle in, in, in the atmosphere, you know, it comes back down again, the plants used and the cows eat it, or we have to crack that as regards reducing the emissions. So clover, we are incorporating clover for five years. We're on low emission slurry spreading for five years. I suppose we've upped the ante a bit on it because of Farm Zero C, but there's a lot of those things we were doing anyway. And like talk us through, John, the... You had mentioned previously in the conversation you were at 15 and a half tonnes grass grown and that has come back a bit um, in that year, reducing the level of nitrogen spread on farm. Now, the introduction of clover and you say you're at it five years, so, you know, you're, you're getting there in terms of establishment farm wide. But where is um, the nitrogen um, figure at and, you know, is it likely to decrease in terms of the amount you're spreading on farm going forward? 
like we would have been right out to the limit, like any derogation farmer. So that was our 250 kilos for years. Um, yes, a, a higher stocking rate at 3.2. And as I said earlier, silage coming in. So when, when we rented ground at like, typical, well, typical across the country, definitely in West Cork, you, you weren't particularly out there looking for ground. A neighbor comes to you and says, I like the way you're farming. I, I, I feel confident you're going to pay me. Are you interested in this grand and this land? Unfortunately, it wasn't grazing platform land, which would which is obviously more important than outside silage ground. That dropped our stocking rate. When that came in, we'd actually dropped our cow numbers and the year before and the year before that in order to fit with our, 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 our new stocking rate. And suddenly we had this extra ground. So we were in transition for a while, getting our cow numbers back up. Well, back as high as 250. We were never as high as 250 before. When we were on our 250 kilos a night, and we were sitting around that, I suppose, 14 and a half to 15 and a half ton, probably year in, year out levels. Obviously, some of it is related to nitrogen. Yes, you're going to get variations from year to year as well on grass growth, but we're now down nearer that 13 and a half to 14 ton since we came back. Like last year, we were at 170 kilos of, of nitrogen a hectare across and you know, across both the milking platform and silage ground, and the difference between the two is the thing and nothing. We our own target here is to get to 150 kilos, but we're conscious that uh, grass needs nitrogen to grow, whether that's coming out of a bag or it's coming out of the nodules from the clover. And if we're not growing enough grass, we're not going to we're going to do ourselves harm from an economic point of view because there's going to be either a lower stocking rate because we won't have enough feed for the cows, or we'll be buying in more feed in the gate. So as well as being lower money, it's going to do harm from a carbon emissions point of view because we're going to have more product coming in to produce the same level of output. So we're conscious of that. I feel happier, or maybe you're going to come to Kevin as regards how Clover is working. Like, I suppose we know, or we've learned here, you have to go in with Clover early. That's a busy time of year on any farm, um, particularly like you're starting to breed, you're, you're, you're watching cows more. And, and maybe we weren't going in quite early enough. We, we are very conscious now of getting in early. Um, this spring, it, it has gone in. And the other point we're conscious of, there's only a limit to how much clover you can top seed and mind in the year. And like Kevin explained that better than me. There's a limit to how much you can do. And maybe we were being a bit over ambitious over the years and trying to do too much of it. Yeah, and and to you, Kevin, on that, like, what have you done over the last five years in terms of is it all full reseeds or are you going in over sowing? And what proportion of the farm are you getting done every year? Yeah, I suppose we were overseeding it, spread it with a slug pellet, really. Um, we've moved away from that. We've gone into uh, stitch it into the ground with the earth machine. Um, we've done ten percent of the farm this spring. It was done in early April. And we're doing about 10% of a full reseed. We were doing full reseeds. Um, we use we put in maybe three, four percent of of the farm goes into multi-species swards, and John will talk about that in a minute. Um, so we've 10% stitched, we've 10% full reseed, um, and we are being more careful grazing it more often to keep light down to the clover plant. So two weeks after the first stitch. We go in and graze at 800s and we've gone in the second time between 1,000 and 1,100 for the second grazing and the next two at least grazings to keep light going down to the plant. 
And on it, uh, Kevin, like, say, if you think about the paddocks that were done maybe last year and also back into 2020, you know, how successful are they? And, you know, is it those tweaks in management in terms of early seed, um, you know, and early grazing on those paddocks? Are they the key to to success or failure in terms of what you've done previously? Some of our best paddocks were, were oversawn four or five years ago, the ones that were oversawn. And the full reseeds are doing very, very well. Um, some of the overstitching, uh, this year they're looking very good. We've had two full clover assessments done on the farm already this spring, and we seem to have a lot more clover, be it better management, or is it from the reduction in nitrogen last year? So there's two reasons that we feel we our clover is actually looking much better this spring. Maybe it's a good year for clover, but I think there's... We, we've, we've educated ourselves better on managing clover. We've become involved in discussion groups with clover. Um, I think a lot of it is education. From a practical perspective, Kevin, like, you know, John has alluded to the, the old way. And, you know, in a derogation situation, you were spreading 250 kilos of N and, you know, there was, I suppose, consistent grass growth and now we're at this phase where we're trying to reduce the level of nitrogen we're spreading on farm and we're trying to encourage clover into swards like where is your head at in terms of managing these swards um you know are you you know would you be concerned about grass supply or you know are you gaining confidence every year with the um with the white clover in the swards we are definitely getting more confident every year like i suppose we had clover swards and we were, the, the good clover swards, we were giving up to 60 kilos of nitrogen up to, we'd say, the middle of April. Um, we've got braver this year. We've won paddock. We have given no nitrogen to it, this chemical nitrogen. It has got soil water. It is getting P and K. Um, so I think we just have to be braver. We are reducing nitrogen on the, the clover paddocks um, down to eight, nine kilos. Um so like the, the max, some paddocks will get no nitrogen, some paddocks will get 50 kilos and more paddocks will get 100. And the paddocks with no clover then will be up to the 150, 160, 170 kilos of nitrogen. So, and, and where do you make that? How do you make that call? Is it based on clover percentage, Kevin, as to whether something gets zero nitrogen, or eight to nine kilos of nitrogen in a round? How is that decision made? It has to be based on clover, uh, clover cover on the farm, uh, around the paddock. And, and and specifically, what are you achieving? Like, you know, if we look at a paddock today, where is clover content at where you would see, you know, say a, a good clover paddock? I think anything above 15 percent, we are reducing nitrogen. Anything above 20 percent, we are going to cut out nitrogen altogether. So our paddock that I, I said already that we have given no nitrogen to, that was a clover assessment on it two days ago. And there's 26 percent clover on that already. You know, so I presume it will go higher as the the year progresses. And and to you, John, a brief comment on multi species. Um, you know, Kevin has mentioned three to four percent of the farm is going into multi species, um, every year. What's the idea behind that? I suppose two things is we want to see principally how it's going to cope with out on a on a dairy farm because most of the research coming through on this until uh, Johnstown and and Brendan Horn and Curtin's got involved in it were coming off of dry stock farms. And in general, I suppose a dry stock farmer isn't grazing quite as low as a dairy farmer. So will it last here? So when I went in in 2020, 
we we put it in on our own bat and equally from a farm zero c they they like the idea of it going in here and then to keep continuity we've gone in kevin has gone in each year and there's another paddock so we now have three three four four four, four paddocks of of uh, multi-species um look the worst is going to happen is you're going to end up with a great sword of grass and clover at this stage, we're not so sure how well, particularly the chicory is going to last. But to look, if it lasts three years and the plantain lasts a bit longer and you end up with a great field afterwards, it has done its job. But really, we're, we're still, we're putting it in to get continuity as regards what it's doing. The cows are eating it. We're not, we, we can't tell you are they, are they going up or down in milk yield because we're not a research farm. We'll be dependent on, on Johnstown and Moor Park for that type of thing. But we're happy to use it. We have no negative comments about it. You've mentioned a lot of practices um, in terms of low emission slurry spreading, um, protected urea and and I suppose alternatives to perennial ryegrass in the form of clover and multi-species. From a breeding perspective, I suppose to you, John, are there practices that are going to contribute to the farm uh, zero C um, initiative? I suppose, yes, in the sense of of. Um, as we know, the, um, there's a very high connection or correlation, if we want to use that term, between high EBI cows and cows with lower emissions, even though some of that research is only beginning. So we've always been high EBI. It's sitting at, uh, we just looked it up yesterday, it's sitting at 191 EBI here, total EBI, the bulk of that for fertility and a certain amount of it for milk. So continuing to breed high EBI is going to help that initiative, but equally it's going to put more money in our pocket from an economic point of view, and we, even though we we were very, very focused on economics up to about two or three years ago, and then we were looking at more of a, a sustainability going forward, as well as keeping the, the profitability out of the farm very good. Um, we don't think there's any clash there. I suppose the bigger thing we're doing there is, and, and like Kevin commented a minute on, on sex semen, it took us a while to get maybe brave enough for it because we know what our compact calving is delivering in terms of getting cows to grass and pr- a lot of production off of grass. Um, I think Kevin's method of using sex semen is the way more people should be doing it. You're very selective who gets it. And if you do, you can still produce very good results. And here's the key bit. We're going in, we're going in afterwards then with, um, with not just a lone bulls coming off of the dairy beef index, but bulls that are very, very high as regards beef value. And from what we can understand in a strange way, more and more of our traditional breeds are going to come back up very high on beef value. Because if you think of it from an overall economics and you think of it from a carbon emission point of view, the faster you can create turn a beef calf into a carcass hanging up, the less time it's around, the lower the emissions. And, and we're very, Kevin has used bulls last year that happened to be very good on this. We might have known an awful lot about it, but building on that experience, we're using more of the beef bulls we're using are not alone high dairy beef bulls, but they're high beef value bulls. We'll pick up on a few points there. I suppose the first being to you, Kevin, um, you know, jumping into sex semen, as John has mentioned, like for a lot of farmers, there's a huge reservation. You know, you're selective in who gets it. What are the criteria? Yeah, I suppose, look, we use sex semen on the heifers and we use sex semen on the cows. We'll talk about the cows. She has to be calved a long time and had no problems calving. Um, we do once a day AI. So if there's a cow on heat this evening, she'll get served in the morning with sex semen. 
If she's bullying in the morning and the AI man is coming two or three hours later, she won't get the sex semen. She has to be at the end of the heat to get the sex semen. Uh, we were a bit, I suppose, a careful last year. We'd say we didn't do enough out of first covers. Um, they actually were one of the best results. Uh, so, and we were going over nothing over a seventh lactation cow. So I think they, they have to be bullying at least 12 to 14 hours. They have to be in good, good body condition and had to have no problems calving. And I, it, it worked well for us. And by the sound of that, Kevin, you're not doing any synchronization. It is sex semen to natural heat. It, no synchronization on the cows. We do a full an eight day synchronization program on the heifers and they get sex semen. But the cows, it's just natural heats. And to, to you, John, tell us a little bit more about the the beef value that you're referring to. So, you know, a lot of us are dipping our toes into the water with DBI and, you know, attempting to do better with the surplus calves in our farm. But I, I, I haven't heard so much about the concept of the beef value before. Yeah, I suppose we didn't either until we... We look back, really, Kevin, on, on bulls that you had selected last year off the, off the dairy beef index and discover that there's a sub-index, the same as inside the EBI, there's the sub-indices in there. And, you know, when we're picking bulls here, we're looking for bulls with a, on a dairy point of view that are very good percentages. So inside the dairy beef index, equally, there's a sub-index in there called the beef value, which, as far as I can understand, most of it is coming off of that carcass value of it. And that's going to change as I said, where more of our traditional breeds, it looks like, are going to come well up that uh, that whole beef uh, index. So we were looking at those, but like any dairy farmer, we cannot afford to be using a bull that's going to have longer gestation length because we know what that's going to do. It's going to shorten the lactation length of the cow one, and also it's risking with longer gestation length if you have a more difficult calving. The second criteria is exactly that difficult calving. You, you, you can't afford to be using a bull that has difficult calving. We were being told from research that it was possible to get bulls that were not longer gestation length and were easy calving. And I suppose we were sceptical enough ourselves that they were out there until we started putting the research in and they were there. So the bulls, and like Kevin comment as well, the bulls that were used last year and it's out of that we have then short-listed those, the better beef value bulls of those, they're, they're, they're the same gestation length are, made, are, are shorter than their compatriots on beef, so they're matching the dairy ones, and they're easy calf, and we're happy with them. The other point is, they're going in right from the start of AI. So if there's 10 cows up the crush to be AI, as Kevin explained, six of them might be getting uh, sex semen for producing a dairy replacement, but four others mightn't hit the criteria. So they might be getting the beef AI straw right from the start. And to you, Kevin, on that, I mean, the 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 proof is in the the practicality of it. Um, you know, John is ta- talking about it from a theoretical perspective. Like, do you see issues with calving, or you know, is there the same relative calving ease as your your black and white or your crossbred straw that you're putting into those cows? We've had no calving issues. No, you could get a, a difficult calving, be it a Frisian or an Angus. It could be a leg down or a calf backwards. But I can't say anything that any of the beef breeds we have used have caused us any problems. And finally, to you, Kevin, I mean, it'll be great to hear about how the breeding season has progressed so far. You know, you know when was mating start date and, and how has it gone for the first uh, three weeks or so? 
yeah, we, we started breeding here on the 4th of, uh, 4th of May. The target would be to do about 12 cows a day. We're running well ahead of that on average per cows per day. So all on natural heats. So breeding is looking very well. So I can't answer you anything on repeat levels or conception rates because we're only 15 days into the breeding season. That's great. It has been a really interesting conversation. Um, thank you both John and Kevin for for insights into what is happening at the Shinnock Farm over the last few years and indeed the, I suppose, the push towards farm zero carbon. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to John McNamara and Kevin Ahern for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.